Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, reaction and analysis of the midterm election results and how they align with what voters were saying prior to Election Day. We'll speak with Dr. Robert Alexander, founding director of the Institute for Civics and Public Policy at Ohio Northern University. Also this morning, honoring those who have served. Flag City Honor Flight President Bob Weinberg talks about his own service as an honor guard at Arlington National Cemetery's Tomb of the Unknowns. And happening around town, Camp Fun offers a safe, judgment-free space for area youth who have been touched in some way by the overdose and addiction crisis in our community. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, I know because, you know, Election Day is over now. <laughs> we put that behind us. Um, it seems kind of anticlimactic. Um, we didn't win the Powerball. Somebody in California won the Powerball. Do you believe that one ticket sold? Just one ticket for the late Powerball drawing uh, from Monday. Um, so... We don't have that to celebrate. If you need something to celebrate today, today is, and I don't know if this is a coincidence that it's the day after Election Day or whether this was planned this way, but it is National Chaos Never Dies Day. <laughs> Chaos Never Dies Day. Uh-huh. It is also World Freedom Day. It is National Scrapple Day. Not Scrabble, Scrapple, and go to an art museum day today. So, reasons to uh, celebrate. So, just some uh, observations on uh, election, uh, on the midterm elections. And obviously, we're going to hear an awful lot of analysis over the next several days and weeks, and maybe for a month or so, because the Senate race in Georgia is still too close to call, and neither candidate, Her, uh, Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock, neither has 50%. So if they don't get to 50% in Georgia, there will be a runoff a month from now. And think about this. That could determine control of the U.S. Senate. So basically, the only reason it would be in a runoff would be because of the number of people who voted for the third-party candidate in that race who didn't vote for either Warnock or uh, Herschel Walker. Um, and so they would then get to decide. It would be those third-party voters who would have to pick one or the other in a runoff, and that would decide control, potentially, control of Congress, given the way everything else plays. So think about that. A very small number of third-party voters in the state of Georgia could ultimately decide control of Congress. Think about that. Uh, it's just kind of weird. Uh, so uh, in Ohio, of course, uh, it was uh, J.D. Vance knocking off uh, Tim Ryan in that much-watched uh, Senate race. Uh, the governor's race turned out not to be close. Um, so that was the other, you know, the other big uh, national uh, race that people were paying attention to, but uh, Tim Ryan, uh, J.D. Vance, uh, it, it was really interesting. I was actually comparing the Senate race in Ohio to the Senate race in Pennsylvania. 
It's amazing how many similarities there were between those two races. In both cases, you had a retiring Republican incumbent. Um, You had a GOP candidate who was a celebrity outsider endorsed by Donald Trump. Both cases, they were uh, those candidates, uh, both uh, J.D. Vance and uh, Dr. Oz, uh, were running against more experienced, more politically experienced Democratic challengers. And yet John Fetterman won Pennsylvania and J.D. Vance won in Ohio. So interesting. There were a lot of uh, parallels in those two races, but they broke very differently. And in Ohio, um, it was exactly I was looking at this. It was exactly the same county by county breakdown as the 2020 presidential election in the uh, Senate race. Uh, Exactly the same. Every single county broke the same way in 2022 as it did in 20. So Tim Ryan was not able to flip any single county in the entire state. And the uh, vote breakdown vote total was pretty much the same. 53-47, J.D. Vance wins. Uh, Donald Trump carried Ohio in 2020, 53-45%. So it was pretty much the same. And yet, you could certainly make the argument that Tim Ryan overperformed. Uh, given the fact that it was a late call, I mean, the governor's race was called, you know, one of the first things of the night. They called that race, and it took uh, it took J.D. Vance uh, much later into the evening to uh, secure his victory. And um, you could argue that, given that the county by county breakdown was exactly the same as it was in the 2020 presidential election, that. Uh, Democrats didn't lose any ground despite all of the headwinds with the economy and and everything else. So, I mean, you could make the argument that Tim Ryan uh, overperformed. And the other race that I thought was interesting, and it wasn't, it didn't make national headlines necessarily, but uh, one that was watched in Northwest Ohio and certainly statewide. And I think uh, there was some hope that uh, on the, uh, among among uh, national uh, Republicans from the national party that perhaps uh, the GOP could flip Marcy Kaptur's seat. You recall that the redrawn maps uh, made Marcy Kaptur's seat in the House much more competitive than it has been in the past. And uh, so I think there was some hope that uh, she might be uh, in danger and the GOP might be able to uh, sneak in and, and capture that seat. But in the end, Marcy Kaptur was able to uh, fend off her uh, challenger, J.D. Uh, J.R. Majewski, uh, 56 to 43. So really was not all that close. Maybe a little closer, certainly a little closer than it's been in some of the uh, other recent races uh, for that seat. But uh, still, Marcy Kaptur able to uh, hold on to uh, her seat. Longest serving female in the history of the United States House. So kind of interesting there. Uh, So I thought that was uh, an interesting race uh, as well, because there was some optimism that maybe they'd be able to flip that seat and and weren't able to pull that off. Uh, We mentioned the uh, Georgia Senate race uh, that is still undecided. The other uh, undecided race, one of the other undecided races is for Arizona governor, uh, where Carrie Lake is actually losing in that race. And I can't remember the name of uh, the uh, Democratic rival uh, in that uh, in that race. But as we were talking about yesterday, I think we, we mentioned this. Um, if Carrie Lake 
loses in Arizona. She is not going to go quietly. (laughs) So there may be uh, a storyline there over the next several weeks, because if she does not win, she is going to be very vocal about her displeasure uh, of of, uh, the voting in Arizona. So uh, pay attention to that one. We will definitely hear more about that. And a really interesting, uh, not a not a race, not a uh, uh, a race for a Senate seat or, or anything like that. In California, they had a measure to allow sports betting in the in the state and California voters overwhelmingly rejected that uh, idea, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, California voters turning down sports betting in that state. And I was surprised by that. Maybe I shouldn't have been. I don't know. But I was uh, surprised uh, that uh, voters there would uh, reject the sports betting uh, initiative. So anyway, some of the uh, interesting uh, thoughts and observations with respect to the uh, midterms last night. We'll get uh, into more of that coming up a little bit later on on the program. The campaign money spent on... Get out the vote initiatives, everything from get out the vote initiatives to salaries for campaign staffers to attack ads on radio and television and the Internet. The campaign money spent uh, more than 16 billion dollars in all. And that's everything. 16 billion dollars on the uh, midterm election, far exceeding spending records for federal and state elections in a non-presidential year, according to a new report, data gathered by the nonpartisan group Open Secrets. The previous spending record for midterms set in 2018. So the last go around 14 billion. So two billion dollars more spent this uh, midterm election than the last one. Among all of the races, Georgia was the priciest, uh, with incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock and Trump-backed Herschel Walker spending $250 million on advertising alone. Uh, Since May, the Pennsylvania race between Mehmet Oz and John Fetterman saw $221 million spent largely on uh, commercials. And so... Those are the priciest races of most expensive races of the midterms, which I thought was kind of interesting. And one of the other things, despite all of the contested races and uh, all of the uh, narratives about who was running in what race, we still have an issue with a lack of candidates. And uh, many times at the uh, local, but sometimes even the state level, uh, there are a lot of candidates that run over uh, that run unopposed. Um, hundreds in Texas, for example, in Texas, hundreds of candidates for state offices are were already the winners of their elections. Uh, for two months, they have been already declared winners ahead of election day, and that is because one third of the Texas legislature and hundreds of candidates for other state offices were unopposed. One third. The Texas Secretary of State, John Scott, said back in September that 10 state Senate candidates and 58 House candidates were declared elected because they were running unopposed. Uh, Other declared winners 
included races for uh, judgeships, district attorneys, county commissioners, justices of the peace, etc., etc., etc. Well, that's a, a lot of races that were unopposed in the state of Texas. And other states are in similar situations, but I saw that uh, story out of Texas on the uh, Newswire that I thought was uh, interesting. So uh, some of the uh, more interesting observations with respect to the midterm elections yesterday. And uh, by the way, of course, the uh, voting continues. Not every race has been decided, but in Ohio, I think we uh, are pretty much set. We know where everything uh, where everything stands. And like I said, a little bit later on this morning, we'll get reaction and analysis of the uh, midterm results. And we'll talk about how they align with what voters were saying prior to Election Day. So that is uh, coming up here in just a bit as we get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, plenty of sunshine expected again today with a high of 67. Just a few clouds tonight, a low of 48. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says a driver fleeing from a trooper crashed his car in Finley and fled on foot. The trooper says the driver was using all lanes to pass traffic and was also passing on the shoulder on 75 southbound heading into Finley. And due to the man's reckless driving, the trooper terminated the pursuit north of the exit for State Route 12 in Findlay. The Highway Patrol says the driver then exited at State Route 12 at a high rate of speed, ran a red light, and then crashed on the ramp trying to get back on a 75, and then he fled on foot. The 23-year-old from Detroit was soon apprehended and taken to the Hancock County Jail. Get more on the website. State Representative John Cross won re-election to Ohio's 83rd House District. The Republican from Kenton defeated Democrat challenger Claire Osborne of Findlay. Cross says he's committed to keeping Ohio safer, stronger, and open for business. This job is about a couple things. In addition to passing laws or working on reforms, you got to help constituents out. You know, you have to sit there and help the hundreds of people that we helped who were on point who couldn't get paid during COVID. And you fight through the government red tape. The 83rd district that Cross represents includes Hancock County, Hardin County, and portions of Logan County. Get more election results on our website. The Ohio Attorney General's office is going after Family Dollar over deceptive pricing. A lawsuit claims the Virginia-based company advertises goods at one price on shelves and charges another, usually higher price, at checkout. The lawsuit, which was filed in Butler County in southwest Ohio, cites violations of Ohio's Consumer Sales Practices Act, saying that Family Dollar listed false prices on items and engaged in bait advertising. Last week, Yoast announced a lawsuit against Dollar General over similar issues. I'm Tracy Townsend. The city council in Finley recently voted to implement a six-month moratorium on the establishment of new small box retail and dollar stores in the city. Finley-based Family Resource Center has been awarded another significant grant from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. One key public benefit of this grant is that it enables them to remove residency and financial barriers to care. Get more details on the website. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So as we count down to a Veterans Day, honoring those who have served, we are joined by Flag City Honor Flight President Bob Weinberg, uh, who himself is a veteran. 
We don't talk that much about that. I mean, we talk whenever we have you in. We're talking about uh, you know the honor flight and taking the veterans to uh, D.C. to see the memorials uh, in their honor and and all of that. And we focus on that. We very rarely actually talk about uh, your service, which is actually really cool. Uh, I had no idea you were uh, and you served as an honor guard, a sentinel at uh, the Tomb of the Unknowns at Arlington National Cemetery. How did that happen? Uh, that's a really good question. I I tell people it was an act of God. I actually think I was blessed. Uh, because I was drafted in 69 and inf- infantry trained, I uh, thought I was going to Vietnam with everyone else. And right. Got on a bus and went to Washington, D.C. Hmm. Uh, I was actually put into the Honor Guard Company, Company E, uh, which houses a lot of different things, but has the tomb guards in it. Uh, so in- initially, I was 3rd Platoon, which is the firing squad at uh, the funerals, which is what... Hmm. The yeah. old guard does. The old guard is the ceremonial unit of the United States Army. Yeah, and uh, and then I went from there to uh, volunteering for the tomb and went through that training and and got the job. There are there's a lot uh, out there. I mean, I'm sure you have seen those uh, internet memes uh, about the requirements of uh, tomb guards um, and the things that you can and can't do as a uh, guard at the tomb of the unknowns. How much of that is accurate? Uh, most actually, um, uh, a lot of we actually have a society, the Honor Guard Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, which we created in uh, '98 and '99, mm-hmm. um, and it's made up of past sentinels as well as present sentinels. And one of the things that we do, we we try to bust the myth of what you can and cannot do. And yeah. and the number one question when I speak uh, normally is, is it true that when you became a sentinel, you signed a paper that said you would not swear, cuss? Um, um, smoke or or drink uh no that's not true there, there's no such paper uh but uh i wear i have a tim guard badge it's very important to me um and that can be revoked at any time mm. in my life so yeah. you do take the tomb with you and you do try it changes your life and you do try to lead a life that would be becoming of that unknown mm-hmm. i i have seen uh the uh, Tomb of the Unknowns and, and seeing the Sentinel, the changing of the guard and, and all of that. Uh, it is such an incredibly uh, somber ceremony. Obviously, you take that uh, very seriously, but that's got to be some intense training to be able to do what you do, what those Sentinels do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes, and, and when I look at it today, and because of Honor Flight, I get to go back home a few times a year yeah. and, and see the change. Uh, I'd go back on reunions of the society, which is biannual. I uh, was there last year for the 100th anniversary of the tomb. Mm. Um, but when I look at what they do today and how they how they perform today, I'm going, yeah, I probably couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder, it's, how, it's, how did I do that? It I mean, seems to be, it seems to me that it gets more strict and more elite as mm-hmm. the years go on, and, and I like that idea, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, you talk about uh, going home, and you did recently uh, just uh, come back from uh, another trip to Washington with uh, Honor Flight. All Vietnam veterans on this past uh, uh, on this past flight, and uh, interesting is the 40th anniversary of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. All of that, yes, all of that. Uh, a lot of firsts for Honor Flight, being the first time we did three. It's the first time we did an all Vietnam veteran uh, flight, and I was quite concerned curious concerned as how that would work uh because of the emotions of the wall and the vietnam veterans and Mm -hmm. we had a great day it was it was one of the best flights we've had yeah um and are you you're already looking forward to 2023 
uh, I'm uh, assuming at this point. We actually have a board meeting tonight mm-hmm. <laughs> where we will hopefully decide what dates we're going to fly next year because it's time to plan next year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we've got that going on. Got that going on. Uh, this weekend, uh, you are going to, or later this week, you are, are going to be at the, or it is this weekend. It is, uh, it is. Sunday. Sunday. Right? Sunday. You're going to be at the uh, Hancock Historical Museum sharing some of uh, your stories uh, as the the time that you served at the uh, Tomb of the Unknowns. Yeah, Deb uh, Wickerham. I can't get away from Deb Wickerham. <laughs> Deb's a wonderful person, as everyone knows. Everyone knows yeah. Deb Wickerham, and she's asked me to come talk. And that's what we do as a society of the to- of the tomb. We our purpose, uh, our mission is to keep uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier relevant in everyone's minds and and give that history lesson mm-hmm. why it's there yeah. and who those who those soldiers are buried there. Yeah. Um, Craziest story that that you have? What what was the? I mean, you know, the other thing, as we said, we've seen online uh, all of the supposed rules and regulations that uh, Sentinels have and the Honor Guards have. Um, we've also seen those images of uh, Honor Guards standing guard in all kinds of weather. What's the worst weather that you? Um, um, we had a blizzard in uh, uh, Christmas time of uh, uh, East Coast as those, and uh, it was Christmas time yeah. uh, seventy one, not seventy, but seventy one, and uh, and it was one of those days where it was just howling, blowing snow, and and the uniforms that we wore then uh, are a little bit different. We didn't have the ear flaps; we had the hard hat yet, so the ears were uncovered. So as you're walking back and forth depending on how much snow's coming, half of your body is the blue uniform, the other half is just white. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I had one of those experiences. Um, but but a lot of people say, so when you have uh, uh, bad weather, is that when you put the new guys up there? Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. That's actually when the old guys want to be up there. Really? They want to do that. Yes. I, I was going to say, because what goes through your mind uh, when you're standing there in that type of uh, of weather i mean does it cross your mind i can't wait till my shift is done <laughs> I, well, can warm, I can go I think, in and warm up well yeah I'm, but yes it does <laughs> i mean you think about the weather that and and what you're but you also are thinking what you're doing yeah and that's that's the important thing yeah. uh of of what you're doing and the fact that you don't stop doing it right uh back uh, there another myth so back in the obama administration they actually had a hurricane go through where mm-hmm. uh it was said that uh, the president ordered them to take cover, and they didn't do that. They continued to walk. That's, that is not true. It, there was never an order passed down. President Obama at that time said that if the guards want to take shelter during that storm, they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just didn't. They, they continued yeah. to walk. Yeah. Um, has anyone ever – I mean, obviously, the honor guard is there, um, and – you know, is ostensibly armed. I don't. I'm. I don't know whether the the uh, rifles are actually loaded. I know they're 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 kind of special rifles. They're special uniform, special rifles, that kind of thing. Well, the rifle is, is it goes it? back to the. It's an M1 Grand, Grand and mm-hmm. uh, and which is a basically a thirty out six, a thirty caliber mm-hmm. uh, a gun. It is not loaded. Yeah. We are a ceremonial unit. Yeah. Uh, but it is our duty to protect the tomb. Yeah. Did, uh, have you? Did you ever have anybody uh, approach it that you had to you know push back and say no, you can't come any closer? Yes, that happened actually a lot during my era because again I was there in seventy and seventy one, right. and there were a lot of. Uh, protests and mm-hmm. a lot of protesters in in DC during that time. Right. Uh, so yeah, that that would happen. Uh, 
Fortunately for me, they stopped when you yelled halt. Well, you do. You they may not be loaded, but you have a bayonet. They're very sharp. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's not like uh, you know. Don't don't get any ideas when we say that the uh, that the uh, rifle is unloaded. But uh, and and how long does it take to train for something like that? Because again, it's so uh, precise. There is actually no time limit in the training cycle, so it could take anywhere from three to six months for a new sentinel to become that sentinel. He is tested on a lot of different things. Uh, I break it down into three things, and that is the walk, uh, the uniform, and then the knowledge, uh, the historical knowledge of the tomb and of the cemetery and the government and the army and all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And one wrong question, and, and you're no longer a trainee. Wow. Uh, so, so that's pretty intense. Uh, the walk takes time. Uh, you practice many hours uh, trying to get that walk and that change of the guard guard down. And then as you progress and you get close to being that sentinel, uh, they'll start putting you on, we call them new men, uh, but we, they'll put a new man on at the first, um, Make the last walk at night, which would be the first daytime change, and also again in the evening at nighttime when the cemetery is closing, that guard would come on as the last guard of change. So he actually has an audience, uh, a small audience, mm-hmm. uh, while he's uh, doing his first changes. Yeah. Um, and then how long does a sentinel typically serve? What's the, I mean, I think that Can right you now your entire stint in the military as an honor guard. I mean, well, I did because again, times change, and I was a two-year draftee. I was only there for, I was only in the service for two years. Yeah. Uh, so my time was limited. In order to to take with you the tomb guard badge, you have to be a sentinel trained and and accepted as a sentinel for nine months of actual walking, and then you can take that badge with you. And I I have that. I walked just almost 11 months. But I was, again, a a draftee, and I was ETA, not back out again. Today's average, I'm going to say, is 18 to uh, uh, 20, 24 months. Mm. Again, uh, Bob Weinberg is with us. He is uh, president of Flag City Honor Flight. Now uh, starting to uh, plan for 2023 after a very busy uh, year. And, of course, uh, this Sunday, as we mentioned, we'll be speaking about his time at the uh, Tomb of the Unknowns at the Hancock Historical Museum. That'll be uh, Sunday when, again, we be uh, Sunday afternoon. I believe I speak around 3 o'clock, I okay. believe, 3 or 3.30. All right. So whether that's the scheduled time or not, that's when you're showing up. So that's exactly. <laughs> Figured you, you would probably know. Uh, we've got a link up for more information at our webpage. And uh, Bob, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank appreciate you. it as always. Always a pleasure. So let's talk a little about the midterm election. Get some reaction and analysis of the election results this morning and how they align with what voters were saying prior to election day with uh, dr robert alexander he is the founding director of the institute for civics and public policy at ohio northern university so dr alexander uh it looks like the republicans will probably take control of the house of representatives although with a very slim margin probably something not all that dissimilar from the current majority that Democrats hold. And we may very well be headed for another uh, 50-50 split in the Senate. So far from the red wave that some had predicted, were you surprised by that at all? Actually, I am. Uh, typically in a midterm election, we got to get that context uh, there. 
the, the, the president's party almost always loses seats in midterm elections on average. Mm-hmm. The president's party will lose four seats in the Senate. The president's party will lose on average 28 seats in the House of Representatives. We're not going to see that this time around, which is really surprising given what Joe Biden's uh, public approval ratings are. Right. I mean, they're at low 40 percent. Uh, the economy is, is he just, he gets awful grades on the economy. And so, yeah, this is pretty surprising stuff. And I think that um, part of that uh, might be uh, some of the Donald Trump effect in the 2022 midterms. So that is really interesting because, like you alluded to, the Republicans had a nice, juicy issue to run on. Uh, inflation at 40-year highs, uh, high gas prices, high grocery prices, these kitchen table issues quite literally uh, hitting voters in the pocketbooks and still were not able to parlay that into anything close to the gains that the opposing party saw in the last couple of uh, midterm cycles. What does that say? Because Donald Trump uh, has has hinted that he is going to run again. Where does that put the Republican Party with uh, him throwing his hat into the ring? Yeah, I think one of the things you can see is that, uh, so like Ohio, for instance, Mike DeWine did very well in the state of Ohio. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's going to have over 60% of the vote. Mike DeWine's also somebody who's never been really cozy with Donald Trump. Uh, J.D. Vance, who, who worked really hard to get the endorsement of Donald Trump, didn't fare as well as other Republicans in the state. You see the same kind of thing happening in other states as well, like in Pennsylvania, uh, Arizona. You see it also in Georgia. And so th- that tells me that candidate quality matters quite a bit. I mean, as you said, they had juicy issues. The, 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 the stage was set for a very strong Republican showing, mm-hmm. and it didn't materialize. And I think that a, a large part of that is that you know you had some candidates that are probably a little bit out of the mainstream where most Americans are at. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, in many of those instances, uh, they were rebuked or they certainly didn't get as much of a vote share yeah. as we would have expected. Now, that being said, uh, and again, I was looking at this a little bit earlier, I thought it was really interesting in the Ohio Senate race, the, uh, Vance Ryan, uh, it broke for J.D. Vance. But the it was the exact same county by county breakdown. Uh, right, uh, you know, all eighty eight counties went the same for JD Vance as they did for Donald Trump two years ago. In fact, the overall numbers fifty three to forty seven percent, very similar to the fifty three forty five split in twenty twenty when Ohio went for Trump. So what does so so clearly those. Uh, those voters uh, still very red uh, in the state of Ohio. Does that say anything to you about, you know, uh, heartland Republicans? It it does. I think that one of the things that we can see, certainly in the state of Ohio, is that uh, the the state is probably not a purple state. Uh, It's definitely got a red tinge to it now. And and again, so, you know, Republicans did very well all the way down the ballot uh, in the State. There were a couple surprises. I mean, uh, in some of those House races, uh, Steve Shabbat lost. Um, Marcy Kaptur uh, mm-hmm. was able to hold on to her seat. And so yeah. there were a couple of bright spots for Democrats. But generally speaking, uh, you know, the, the state of Ohio uh, may not be super competitive on a presidential level in, in 2024. Yeah, you referenced uh, Marcy Kaptur's seat, and I thought that was really interesting. We were talking about that a little bit earlier, uh, fending off uh, what many saw as her greatest challenge uh, in quite some time. Uh, but she won fairly comfortably, even in a district that was redrawn to be more 
competitive uh, this time around. And one could argue that Tim Ryan actually did overperform uh, in uh, carrying uh, 50 or, uh, you know, 45% of the vote. He didn't really lose a whole lot of ground, uh, in Ohio. He didn't win, but he didn't lose uh, a whole lot of ground, which again, given the uh, scenario, uh, that could have, uh, that could have happened. Um, I also thought it was kind of interesting. Again, when we compare the uh, Senate races, you reference Pennsylvania, um, it was very similar. Ohio and Pennsylvania Senate races were very, uh, very similar. Uh, in Pennsylvania and Ohio, you both had a retiring uh, Republican incumbent, uh, and in their place, a political celebrity, political newcomer endorsed by Donald Trump, both being opposed by a more politically experienced Democrat, and yet those races went two different ways. So if that says something about Heartland Republicans in Ohio. What does it say about uh, East uh, Eastern U.S. Uh, Republicans in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I mean, you know, not all of these states are the same. I know that the, the national media likes to think that, you know, there's not that much of a difference between right. on, on Ohio and a Michigander uh, or a Pennsylvanian, but uh, there, there are some differences there. And, and, you know, you saw it in Pennsylvania. You also saw it uh, in Michigan as well. So in some of these states, uh, you know, they had different results than, than they had in Ohio. And, uh, you know, part of that is some of the rural composition of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, uh, in, in the state of Ohio, uh, populist message plays very, very well. And, and again, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, you had a little bit of, um, distancing, uh, again, from, from Mike DeWine. In, mm-hmm. in the state here. You did not see that in Pennsylvania with the gubernatorial candidate there, Doug Mastraniel, um, who, who really embraced Trump and went hard on Donald Trump. And so the, the, the candidate there uh, running for governor, Josh Shapiro, uh, a little bit more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's some differences going on there, a little bit of incumbency. I, I got to figure that DeWine probably carried J.D. Vance a good amount, because uh, DeWine didn't just get Republican votes. DeWine also got a, a decent number of Democrat votes. Obviously, so yeah. There were, there were, yeah, so there were folks that, on the Democratic side that said, you know what, I'm a Democrat, but I, I like the way that Mike DeWine probably handled COVID. Yeah. And, and so they voted for him. Right, and that uh, brought up the point that it was made uh, during the uh, coverage I was watching and listening to some of the coverage uh, last night. It really just uh, shows there was a lot of uh, cross-ticket uh, balloting uh, last night in many, many states. Now, how does all of this compare? Because I know you did uh, a, a number of uh, polls. You did some polling prior to Election Day, which actually caught the attention of Donald Trump, uh, incidentally. How does all of this compare to what voters were saying prior to Election Day? Uh, I mean, in, in hindsight, can you pick out any clues uh, from some of those uh, polling results early that pointed to what we saw yesterday? Yeah, so we, we did a, a poll of likely voters in the state of Ohio several weeks back. And I got to tell you, being a pollster these days, is, it's a pretty <laughs> scary business. You're going to have results on Election Day, and you're going to know what happened. And so I actually feel pretty good about uh, what, what we were able to um, come up with in, our, in the northern poll. Uh, we did have Mike DeWine right around 60%, and that's what we saw. Uh, we had uh, Republicans all the way down the ticket um, winning pretty pretty comfortably, which is again what we saw, including uh, the uh, Supreme Court races. Uh, the the one spot that we saw is we had um, Tim Ryan uh, a little bit ahead of J D Vance, 
but we had a ton of undecided voters at that time. Hmm. And, uh, and I think that ultimately, I mean, we had Ryan at 43% and Vance at 41% with a lot of undecided. And I think ultimately what that, what that meant was that Ryan had a certain cap. He was, he was never going to probably get over 47, 48% of the vote. And, uh, and I think that you had a lot of Ohio voters out there saying, you know, maybe I want to vote for Tim Ryan or I want to vote for, for J.D. Vance, but, uh, you know, what's it going to take for me to kind of take me over the line? Yeah. And I, I do really do believe that DeWine was able to, to kind of help uh, Vance, um, you know, kind of bring up Republican voters. Uh, I think they came home. Uh, for J.D. Vance, ultimately. Yeah. But it certainly wasn't a resounding victory, even though it was very similar to what Trump had. But again, the the stage was set for a, a shellacking yeah. uh, of Democrats in the, the state. And that, again, that didn't just, happen. Just did not materialize. And it will inter- be interesting to see if uh, that Ohio Senate seat is in play again the next time around. So, uh, And again, how all of this relates to a possible uh, Trump run for 2024, which he could announce uh, here in the next uh, few days. So we will certainly continue to watch that. Again, Dr. Robert Alexander, founding director of the Institute for Civics and Public Policy at Ohio Northern University. Dr. Alexander, thanks very much for taking the time today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. Leasing Colorado Springs. Say a now this is a bad day. This is how you know that uh, you are having a bad day. Uh, apparently a driver, distracted driver who was looking at their phone, not paying attention, rear-ended another vehicle uh, in Colorado Springs yesterday. To make matters worse, the <laughs> the vehicle that the distracted driver rear-ended was a Colorado Springs patrol car. <laughs> Uh, can you imagine you're looking at your phone, you're driving along, you're not paying attention, bang, you hit something, you look up, and you've not only hit another car, you've hit a patrol car. (laughs) Oops. Uh, Fortunately, no injuries reported, but the driver involved was given a ticket for careless driving. That's a bad day right there. Not, Not the way you want to start your morning. So no matter how bad your day is today, if you have not rear-ended a patrol car because you are looking at your phone, <laughs> then it's really not as bad as all that. A uh, California police officer finds himself in trouble with the law himself after allegedly firing his gun into the air in the parking lot of a bar. <laughs> officer Fidel Ocampo Rodarte was off-duty at a tavern in Blue Jay, California, At 2 a.m. Sunday morning when the incident occurred, uh, the officer turned himself in hours later and was arrested on suspicion of negligent discharge of a firearm. Suspicion of (laughs) discharge of a firearm. The uh, shooting was captured on surveillance cameras. Uh, The uh, police chief, San Bernardino, Darren Goodman, says such behavior is not fitting of an officer. You think? Probably not. <clears throat> not a good look. Not a good look. <clears throat> what else is uh, going on here? 
speaking of firearms, on Monday, the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, shared on social media that agents found a gun. Uh, this is the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. Um, according to the TSA, they found a gun smuggled inside of a raw chicken <laughs> in the passenger's luggage. Um a gun smuggled inside a raw chicken. <clears throat> now, uh, both fresh and cooked meats are permitted in carry-on bags uh, at, at the airports. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, uh, raw chicken in your carry-on is allowed. <laughs> it's not going to make you any friends on the plane, but it is allowed. Uh, however, it cannot be stuffed with a firearm. <laughs> That's against the rules. But if you're planning your Thanksgiving travel, you should know that raw birds are permitted. Um, Also, speaking of uh, Thanksgiving, TSA points out that most of the day's delicacies, turkey, stuffing, sides, and desserts can be brought through security as well, but not when stuffed with a firearm. So make note of that. Speaking of firearms being caught by TSA agents at airport screenings, um, in South Carolina, agents stopped a man who tried to smuggle, uh, get this, 51-year-old David Lee Engel stuffed his carry-on luggage full of goodies. They discovered smoke grenades, batons, stun knuckles, <laughs> and more. Uh, both the FBI and TSA agents at the Columbia Metropolitan Airport in South Carolina uh, descended upon Mr. Engel once they learned what he was carrying. It is unknown how the weapons were discovered, but if I had a hunch, it's probably when the staff x-rayed his bag. I mean, can you imagine you're sitting there and that's got to be a very monotonous job. I mean, you know, 99% of the luggage that goes through the x-ray screener is just fine. And so I would imagine, I mean, if you've ever noticed some of those TSA agents, they get kind of glassy eyed. Uh, after a while, but that will catch capture your attention. Uh, in addition to the grenades, batons, and stung knuckles, police pulled two knives and two cans of pepper spray from his bag, and Mr. Engel was placed under arrest. He faces charges of entering into an uh, a secured air power area in violation of the requirements, both knowingly and willingly. If found guilty, he could be sentenced to a year in prison. So. No word on what he was uh, thinking he was going to do with all of that stuff. Probably nothing good, I would think. This is a crazy story that I saw on the uh, newswire. Virtual reality headsets are like all the rage now among gamers with uh, uh, enhanced reality and virtual reality games. Uh, Put you in the thick of the action when it comes to gaming. But one of the pioneers of this technology says he has taken the idea of virtual reality to an entirely new level. Palmer Lucky says he has uh, developed a virtual reality headset that will kill you if you die in the game. That's right. Literally game over. Literally game over. Mr. Lucky, who developed the Oculus gaming technology used by millions all over the world, claims to have created a real-life set of VR headgear that 
will will kill you if your character dies. He says uh, pumped up graphics might make a game look more real, but only the threat of serious consequences can make a game feel real. <laughs> well, I guess so. Uh, he claims to have used, and this is he's his words. Uh, he claims to have used three of the explosive charge modules that I usually use for a different project. <laughs> what other project is that? I wonder. But I digress. He says when an appropriate game over screen is displayed, the charges, the explosive charges in the headgear fire off instantly, destroying the brain of the user. Oh, fun, fun. (laughs) He's serious about this, apparently. He says at this point, it's just a piece of art, a thought provoking reminder of the unexplored avenues in game design. It is also, as far as I know, he says, the first nonfiction example of a VR device that can actually kill the user. But he insists it will probably not be the last. Whatever happened to Pac-Man? That's what I wonder. That's what I wonder. Pac-Man. Space Invaders. Yars Revenge. It'd be a good old-fashioned Atari game. That'd be just fine. Pong never killed anyone. And finally, in the broken news this morning. Now, this is embarrassing. uh, In Scotland, at the uh, Blair Drummond Safari Park, a a couple, Sean Nickel uh, and uh, Jay Murray, were at the uh, safari park with their two kids when they happened upon a monkey who was uh, monkeying around, shall we say, with himself. <laughs> Even better, they had their camera uh, rolling when they uh, stumbled onto the uh, <clears throat> show. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, a couple posted the whole thing to uh, social media, writing, Six months on, and I can honestly say that I won't forget our trip to the safari park. <laughs> Anytime soon. <laughs> Apparently, their older child had no idea what was going on, but uh, his parents did, and uh, they were laughing through the whole thing. But <laughs> try explaining. Well, that's nature right there <laughs> in all its glory. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Lance with OSU Extension. It's harvest season. Drivers will be sharing roads with combines and grain hauling vehicles. Please be alert, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this fall to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Back in 1965, the classic rock group The Who assured us that the kids are all right. In 2022, not so much. New survey of more than a thousand young adults in Generation Z 
uh, conducted by Harmony Healthcare, 42% of those in the poll say that they have a diagnosed mental health condition. Uh, in fact, three quarters of those in the poll say their mental health was negatively affected by the COVID pandemic. That is probably not a surprise. But one in five young adults say that they are seeing a therapist, according to the poll. Gen Zers also twice as likely as millennials and those in Gen X to say they are struggling with daily emotional distress issues. Eight in 10 Gen Zers say that they suffer from daily bouts of severe depression. Daily bouts of severe depression. That said, 79% of those polled in that demographic, more than any other age group by far, say they and their contemporaries are more comfortable discussing their mental health struggles. So that is good news. But uh, clearly, the poll finds the onset of the COVID pandemic took an emotional toll on millions of younger people who have been diagnosed as being depressed, suffering from anxiety, and in some cases, even having post-traumatic stress because of the uh, pandemic. Loneliness and uncertainty about the future were also major concerns uh, after the height of the social distancing days. So interesting stuff all the way around there with respect to the uh, mental health of young people. This is another example Uh, We're seeing all of these ways that the pandemic impacted us much more than just physically. Well, happening around town here very soon, a program called Camp Fun that provides a safe, judgment-free space for area youth who have been touched in some way by the overdose and addiction crisis in our community. Pastor Greg Fox is with us in the studio this morning to talk more about it. And uh, the name is Camp Fun, but obviously there's a very serious uh, purpose behind it. Well, there sure is, Chris, and I'll tell you the. The community's come together great, and the purpose is to have anyone, like you mentioned, that's been affected in any way by uh, addiction, whether it be by loss or by trouble or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives the kids an opportunity to come together in a in a safe space to have fun with other people with like situations to know that they're not the only ones out there yeah. and to realize that they count. And that's our big goal every time we do this. We do them twice a year, and the biggest goal is that when those kids leave, they had a good time, and they know that they count. Yeah. Um, we often talk about the addiction crisis and uh, the number of overdoses, and it is a, a crisis in the entire country, not just here, uh, certainly, but we are touched as our communities all over the country. So often when we talk about that crisis, we don't think about the children that are impacted by this in any number of ways. Exactly. I mean, it, like I said, it could be by a loss of a family member, a mm-hmm. uh, friend, anything for that matter, mm-hmm. or, or just as much as turmoil in the home, right? Uh, parents not being accessible, mm-hmm. um, whether it be by, you know, being incarcerated, whether it be through medical issues or whatever the case is, yeah. those kids are just forgot about. Yeah, and these are by definition at risk youth absolutely so absolutely. you know to to reach out to them and make a difference uh makes a difference in the here and now but also on down the road absolutely and we want to make sure as we do camp on that we don't want them to feel like they're in some type of treatment or some type of mm-hmm. 
special attention. Yeah. It's just for them to have a fun-filled day where they know that they count and somebody cares. Yeah. That that's the other uh, the other thing. I mean, obviously, you know, there are a lot of camp programs, there are a lot of uh, programs for youth. Um, why is it important do you feel to have one specifically where everyone within that unit uh, in this camp uh, shares this particular story? Well, the the nice thing of the way this is designed is they don't stand out. They're not the only person there that has an issue with a family member uh, or a friend or whatever the case be mm-hmm. that has a situation with addiction of some sort. Yeah, and they don't they don't feel like they're isolated. Yeah, they're realizing that everybody there has the same issue. Yeah, or same sort of issue. Yeah. Uh, so not only do they find that there are people who care, but there are other people who are going through the same thing. Because I would imagine, again, in your own sort of bubble, uh, it can be very easy to think that you are the only one who is exactly these kids, especially with the younger kids, they feel isolated, they feel alone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why, why me? Why am I the only one? Yeah. And really, they're not, mm-hmm. and that's kind of our goal. Yeah. So, talk a little bit about uh, how this uh, how this works, uh, Camp Fun, and and what are some of the things that you uh, will will do with the kids, and the the you know how this program works to kind of break through that uh, that shell, if you will. Sure. It's kind of we've got it set up in in the morning and afternoon sessions. It's good for it's excuse me, not good. It's available for any kids ages nine through seventeen. Okay. And um, in the morning we set up, uh, there'll be a heartstrings melody, which is a group that comes in and, and it's a music therapy type thing, but it's not designed as a therapy, even though it works as one. Mm-hmm. And then at the opposite hour of that, they're also having awakening minds, which is a craft group that comes in and, and does a certain type of craft with them. And that's in the morning. Then the afternoon we have it set up in, in two groups. Again, the first one will be an obstacle course set up where they'll come in and do uh, physical activities and go through a little obstacle course at, that these folks have set up. And then we also have got service dogs coming in. I believe there's a possibility of a horse coming. I don't know that for sure. Oh, awesome. But there's definitely two or three service dogs coming in mm-hmm. where the kids can play with them, get attached to them, and interact with them. And, it's, and it really is a calming uh, type event with those. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Everything has a purpose. And, and this was a program that has been developed in conjunction with mental health professionals within the community and, and so on, uh, yourself and the uh, faith-based uh, community, uh, all coming together uh, to use uh, strategies that you know work and make a difference in these kids' lives. Right. Pressure and I, two years ago, when, this, when Pressure came up with this idea, we got together and we went down to Montgomery County. Mm. And in Montgomery County, they have a similar... Uh, type of a setup down there we went down and shadowed them one day and watched their camps and how they did it kind of got us an idea and then we got in contact with a few other camps around the country and and didn't didn't try to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. we just tried to take a little bit from each camp what yeah. would work in our community and in, with our people yeah and what has been uh, the response because uh, you've done this what for a couple of years now yeah, right? this will be our third camp third and the uh the response has been been overwhelming really the first year i think we had six or seven kids and we thought we were hoping for more but you know that's not really that bad when you look at montgomery county they had 20 kids mm. and that's a lot larger metropolis to right. draw from sure. than what we are here in hancock county right and but then last year we had close to 30 wow and that's was, both good and bad i mean it's good that you're reaching that number of uh more than two dozen kids it's bad that there's a need to reach more than two dozen kids absolutely yeah. 
and the the number is staggeringly higher mm. um even though we offer transportation to the kids if they need it uh, there's a lot of cases where we've went to pick them up and mm. the family just hasn't got them around they just wow. haven't been ready mm. um, which almost which underscores the need even yeah. more yeah and i know two years ago when we actually started this program there was a study done and through the study then if i remember the numbers exactly there was 75 kids in our community that actually had a loss through addiction mm. in their family. Wow. That wasn't counting anybody else affected by it. Mm-hmm. So the need is great. There's a large number out there. We yeah. just need to touch them. Yeah. So, again, this is a, a program that will, uh, again, help these kids deal with these issues and at the same time help them maybe in a in a way forget and set that aside and kind of – I don't know this sounds very cliche, kind of fly free uh, during the uh, course of the camp. Uh, camp fun is coming up. So what is the uh, next date? It is coming up later this month, right? Yes, November the 19th. Okay. Um, it'll start at, actually registrations at 930. We'll start at 10 o'clock and it goes okay. till four. And like I said, it's broken up in four segments. We feed them. Uh, we have snacks for them in between. Uh, they, they eat well while they're there. Yeah. Um, like we always say, when we you, meet, we eat. So. It, and you mentioned transportation is available, so that, we do have if transportation that is an issue. Available, somebody signs up, and their their folks don't have a way to get them there. Mm-hmm. We do have transportation supplied by the city mission with train drivers and all. All we have to do is have them sign a permission slip, and boom, we pick them up and return them. So making it as easy as possible to get these kids uh, into goal. this uh, into this program, and it is uh, actually happening in town Trinity Lutheran Church. Correct, Trinity Lutheran Church. This was up at nine. 35 West Bigelow, right mm-hmm. there at the corner of Bright Road and Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've graciously offered their facility to us. Uh, great facility to get together. Uh, and again, we registration we haven't closed. We leave it open right up to the day because okay. we don't want anybody to miss out. Um, they can easily register if they go to uh, www.yourpathtohealth.org. Okay. And they can register there. Or if they don't have that capability, they can call 419 424 one nine eight five. So, if you know of a young person who could benefit from this, uh, obviously pass the word along. We've got the link up at our webpage as well for uh, more information. Is there a cost involved? Uh, in Absolutely this? not. No. Um, it's totally been covered by grants through the Adams Board and uh, through the state of Ohio. And I'll be quite honest with you, the community has reached out immensely. All of the food, all of the uh, we give a lot of things away to the kids throughout the day. They home with goodie bags and all kind of stuff and the stuff they take home with them has all been donated by uh, community members by churches by different organizations it's just it's amazing how our community when we don't look for it it still steps up and and reaches out to those in need yeah Uh, again camp fun a uh, safe and judgment-free space for area youth who have been touched in some way by the overdose and addiction crisis in the community uh, we've got, as we said, the link up at our webpage for more information about it coming up later this month. Again, Pastor Greg Fox with us this morning. Pastor Greg, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. It. Have a great day. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media, sign up for our daily email newsletter, and more. Again, goodmornings.net, our little corner of the World Wide Web. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.